0: Good morning to each of you. Thank you very much for your presence. We're going to begin a study in the book of Hebrews, which you say is good. It's an easy book. No, it isn't. It is very difficult. I'm glad you're here to endure the introduction of the book of Hebrews. I want us to, uh, oh, incidentally, if I had to select books of the Bible that are most important to me, after I selected Matthew, Mark, Luke and John I would select three Leviticus Romans and Hebrews that does sound strange doesn't it but I think you'll understand when we finish the book of Hebrews this quarter you'll see the value of it I know all of you have studied it I hear people all the time saying I've really studied Hebrews but don't quite understand it, well Join the club. Nobody fully understands it. Brother Glenn preached a great sermon this morning. He made one great statement. I don't think he's in here, so I can say this if I want to. Here's a great statement he made. I'm walking into an area here where I'm not going to be able to answer all the questions. Thank you, Glenn, for saying that because I am too. Nobody can answer all the questions about the book of Hebrews But I'm going to try to answer some that you probably have never asked. Okay, let's go to the second slide. Here is the uh, slide number two. It is there. Oh, there it is. The name of this book In the King James Version of the Bible, it was named the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Hebrews. That was not the original name. The original name was Pros Hebras. to Hebrews. As a matter of fact, not at first was it thought to be written by the Apostle Paul. Scholars debated on who wrote it. They didn't know. And when the canon was being determined by the powers that be at that time, the canon, that is the body of scripture. Hebrews was not included. Second Peter was not included. Other books were not included because there were questions about them. The question about the book of Hebrews was, who wrote it? Nobody knew they would not include it in the canon. And it was not until the end of the second century that it was concluded included in the canon and at that time some had surmised that Paul was the writer so that he with the author he as the author put it into the canon I might quickly say the canon of scripture was not determined by men men did determine it but God determined the canon of scriptures anyway but we don't know yet who wrote the book of Hebrews cannot be proved that Paul did some say Barnabas did. There are about a hundred people that might have written the book of Hebrews. We don't know who they were, but we know it's a great book. And I simply say the Holy Spirit wrote it. When was it written? Around 64 to 68 AD. It's objective to show Jesus superior to Moses, superior to the Aaronic covenant, a priesthood, and superior to angels. We're going to satisfy the objective as we study Hebrews, convince Christians to remain faithful to the Lord. I don't plan to do that with you because you already are. But I'm going to give you greater reason for believing that Jesus is superior to all other creatures. And you will, I shouldn't call him a creature. He is not a creature. All other beings, but you, you know that already. So I'm not going to get anywhere with you on that. Now let's look at slide number three and look at some of the problems with the book of Hebrews. This is a... Going to take us a while to get through about three or four of these slides, but we must do it. There's a problem with the last days. What are the last days? I'll tell you what big cold theology was: the Christian age. That's the last days. We live in the last days. See, I don't think that's correct. We don't talk about that much in the church. We don't know how to talk about it because we can't define the last days from Scripture. But there are some things that lead me to believe that it was different from that. Let's look at Genesis forty-nine, one, where Jacob calls all of his sons together and he tells them what will befall you in the last days. He was talking about befalling the tribes, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, et cetera, not the men. And the last days referred to a time at the end of what they were trying to do at that point. In Acts 2.17, uh, Peter quotes from Joel, it shall come to pass in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he said, this is that which was spoken by Joel the prophet. Now what Joel really said in uh, Joel chapter 228, it shall come to pass afterwards. And of course, Peter, by inspiration of the spirit, called that the last day in the last days. The old people used to call that the beginning of the last days. The Day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two, but in the last days I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Look at Second Timothy chapter three verse one. This was written incidentally in A.D. fifty seven. But know that in the last days perilous times will come. We have people read that today say, "See there, two thousand twenty-two is talked about there in Second Timothy three one." Well, of course. This is perilous times, but he was talking about that which was imminent. That's what, which was happening then. He was defining the last days. That was the last days. John chapter five, verse three, written in around 50 AD, your gold and silver are corrupted, corroded and their corruption will be a witness against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have heaped up treasure in the last days. So that time was defined as the last days. First Peter chapter one, verses 20 and 21. This is AD 65. Roughly. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. For you who through him, believe in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, AD 66-67, Jerusalem was already being threatened. The Romans were encamped outside Jerusalem at this point. They would destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. Happening right then. In the last days. And then uh, we're in uh, slide number four. Now, uh, Hebrews chapter one, verses one and two. And this is in the book of Hebrews, by the way, God, who at various times in various ways spoken times past by the fathers to the fathers, by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son. whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. Last days, Jesus' life on earth, were the last days. The beginning of the last days was not Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. The last days had already begun. A transition period from the law of Moses to the law of Christ had to occur. That had to happen. I was visiting a school of preaching several miles from here not even in the southeastern US and something came up about the uh, day of Pentecost and what it meant I asked one of the teachers there I said tell me what would happen what would have happened if Peter had preached on Pentecost and then on Monday following that Sunday a priest in Antioch had performed a service of sacrifice or whatever and had died that night the man said he would have gone straight to hell and I said oh dear and we have him teaching our men how to preach Christianity is one day old and because a rabbi or priest did not know that He would have gone straight to hell had he died. There was a transition period. That transition period is probably longer than we think. I believe actually it started with John the Baptist. I hope that doesn't say John the baptism there. It does in my notes. To General Titus in AD 70. John the Baptist in about AD 27 and uh, General Titus AD 70. You will find in studying the book of Hebrews that God destroyed Jerusalem in order to end Judaism. now I say, now wait a minute, Judaism ended at the cross. No, it didn't either. The old law was nailed to the cross, no longer effective except by God's grace. The new law began, that is a sharp division, But Judaism continued. We're going to see that in today's lesson, I think. It continued. God tolerating it until he could finally get rid of it. And the book of Hebrews is about how he got rid of it. We're going to get to that on about chapters 8 or 9 along there. And you'll see it very clearly. Okay, uh, let's look at slide number 5. Here's the second problem. First problem was the transition period the last days. The second problem is the Old Testament background. Objection number one, the Old Testament priestly system is not important to us. We have actually taught that in the church. Years ago, an old lady called me. She was part of the family. She called me one night, James, do we need to study the Old Testament? I said, yes, ma'am, we do. I don't believe that. We don't live under the Old Testament. I don't want to know anything about it. I said but it was written in order to teach us the New Testament. She said it's no good to me. Well, we had that philosophy in the church. She was not by herself. I heard that debating, when I was a child. Don't spend any time in the Old Testament, it's no good. Spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. The reason we don't understand the New Testament is because we don't understand the Old. The reason we don't understand the book of Hebrews is because we don't understand the Old Testament covenant. Please. The uh, priestly system in the Old Testament um, is very important to us. Why? Why would Aaron's an example. Listen to uh, Exodus chapter 28 verse uh, 36. You shall also make a plate of pure gold incidentally. God is setting Moses up to build the tabernacle, to build the uh, clothing for the high priest, and exactly how he was to dress. The high priest's garment cost above $10,000. And he had to wear it all the time except on the Day of Atonement. He put on linen. Clothing like the rest of the priests on the Day of Atonement, the other three hundred sixty-four and a half days of the year, he wore this garment that cost more than ten thousand dollars. All right, in Exodus chapter twenty-eight, verse thirty-six, you shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of the signet, holiness to the Lord. And then that was to be worn continually on the high priest's turban. Why? Because when the people sinned, when they brought something against the tabernacle or temple, that high priest had to admit those sins to that golden plate. God couldn't tolerate it otherwise. And then, on the Day of Atonement, it was taken away and taken into the wilderness. That along with other sins that were committed. That is very, very important. It is something that James Andrews can't really grasp. I don't get it. I know what the Bible teaches, but I don't get it. Way too complex for me. Thank God for it. Objection number two, priests are not a part of our theology. We don't have any priests here at West Huntsville. We have elders. No priests here. I beg your pardon. I'm looking at you in the eye. You are priests of God. Listen to First Peter, chapter two, verses one through five. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious you also are living stones as living stones are being built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and to Jesus Christ what does a priest do first of all the high priest in the old testament took the sins of the people to God the regular priest took them to the high priest and the high priest took them to God the priests were communicators between man and God. And so it is today. Our high priest is Jesus Christ. The only thing is, I don't have to go through you as a priest. I am a priest and you are a priest. So I can go to my Jesus Christ with my sins and he takes them to God. That's just, that's wonderful. That's just how it works. I wouldn't know that so easily except for what the Old Testament teaches. We do know that. I want to refer to something right here that uh, may be questionable, but I want you to see it anyway and see what you think about it. First Corinthians chapter seven, verse 14. You might be asking, well, James, you are a priest. Who are you a priest for? I'm a priest for myself, but maybe for others as well. Not because I'm a special person. Who are you a priest for yourself? Maybe for others as well. Not because you're a special person. But I want you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 14. I was in worship years ago, a long distance from here. And one of the elders in the church was teaching the Bible class. 1 Corinthians 7. I thought I'm going to enjoy this. I really want to hear his comments on chapter 14, uh, verse 14. Well, the elder carefully read down to 13 and talked about it. And then he observed the Passover and went to verse 15. As if verse 14 didn't exist. And that means one of two things. First of all, I don't believe that. Or secondly, I don't understand it. And I'm going to get messed up if I try to explain it. I suppose that's where he was. But listen to what he says here. Paul is talking about remaining married to a person who is not a Christian. If a husband who is a Christian has a wife who is not a Christian, don't divorce her because she is not a Christian. If a wife has a husband who is not a Christian, don't divorce him because he is not a Christian. Listen to what it says. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. And the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, the children would be unclean, but now are they holy. Now realize there are some words here that can't really be defined as we normally define. The word sanctified means set apart for God and His work. And then children who are unholy. Reference, of course, to the pagans of the day that had children who were not in God's way. But here's how I see this passage. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife. The wife cares for her husband and prays for him. And God brings a special blessing on that family because of the wife. Salvation for the husband. No, no, no. Special protection for the husband. He has a Christian wife. The unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. The husband prays for his wife. He represents her before God. Not asking God to save her in her condition, but begging God for her obedience. And then the children are reared in a Christian environment. Is that a stretch of the imagination? Or are these Christians in this verse acting as priests for their spouse and their family? Just a question. Brother Glenn, thank you. There are things I don't know. There are questions I ask. Objection number three. I don't like this because I hate blood and guts. You do? I preached a sermon on the sacrifice of the Old Testament one time. It's a gripping sermon. It's not good to preach before lunch, but I did it on that occasion. There's Brother Glenn over there. Thank you, Brother Glenn. I'm glad you're here. On that occasion... A woman came out and said, Brother Andrews, I hate blood and guts. In other words, I didn't like your sermon, which did not offend me. I want to ask you a question. You ate a little piece of bread a while ago. You know what that was? The broken body of the Lord. You know where that came from? From the whip of a soldier. Jesus' back was cut with a whip down to the ribs and he bled there. He bled on the cross, poured out his blood on the cross, but his skin was shredded by Roman whips. That's what we ate a while ago. That's the Lord's Supper. I hate blood and guts. I don't. I love our Lord and the sacrifice he made for us. Number six, slide number six. Now here's some questions we haven't answered. It is my belief that all the activities recorded in the New Testament took place during the transition period. All the books of the New Testament, except maybe for the writings of John, took place in the transition period of the New Testament. Question. Was the conference in Jerusalem for all the church, or for Gentiles only? You remember the conference. We had a problem in Antioch of Syria. Should the uh, should the Gentiles be circumcised to be saved? The answer is absolutely yes. Say some Jews. <clears throat> Paul said, "No, no, no, no. They don't need to be circumcised to be saved." There was a big problem about it, so they said, "Let's go to Jerusalem." Went to Jerusalem met with the elders of the church there. <clears throat> and you know what they determined? That they should uh, abstain from fornication, blood, etc. But nothing about circumcision. They were not to do that. They were, uh, they were relieved from that. Now, you remember that Peter was the uh, apostle to the Jews and Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Some years ago, I was staying with a brother in Christ, going to preach that on Saturday night, going to preach Sunday. And he came to my room, knocked on the door. He said, James, I want you to hear something. I went in there and a preacher was on the air and he was preaching that in the New Testament, there were two plans of salvation, one to the Gentiles and another to the Jews. (laughs) He said the Jews had to be baptized to be saved and the Gentiles didn't. He said, you ever heard anything like that? I said, absolutely. It's a common doctrine. So after the Jews, uh, after the Gentiles were prevalent in the church, baptism was no longer essential to salvation. I said, of course. They'll do anything to get that point across. Well, the conference in Jerusalem, was it for the Jew? For, was it for the Gentile only or for the Jews? Well, the whole point is it was because of the Gentiles but I think it applied to the entire church uh, initiated by the Gentiles. But yet look at uh, Galatians chapter five verses one through five and listen to what Paul says. Incidentally, the book of Galatians was written between 50 and 55 AD. It was written considerable time before the destruction of Jerusalem. <laughs> and uh, Paul says in verse one, Genesis 5, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Entangled again with what's the yoke of bondage? The old law. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Paul says... You can't demand circumcision without demanding the entirety of the law. You have become estranged from Christ, those of you who attempt to be justified by the law. You have fallen from grace. For through the Spirit, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. Very plain. Look at Galatians 2. Verse 15 beginning, we who are Jews, he still writes to the Galatian church, which had many Gentiles in it. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners as Gentiles, knowing this, that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we who believed in Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law for by the works of the law, no flesh will be justified. You see where Paul is on this matter. He says, no, don't be circumcised for religious reasons. If you do, you're obligating yourself to keep the whole law, which we tried to do and couldn't do it. So forget it. Was he writing to Jew and Gentile? He was writing. That was what he believed. That's what he taught. <laughs> now, <clears throat> years ago, there was a gentleman in Jamaica. Who loved to preach to the Sabbath day Adventist. <clears throat> he was good. <clears throat> he uh, liked to preach on the Sabbath. And he would build up to a point. He says. Z, 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 I'm about to drop a bomb. I'm about... And he did. But I went to him one night. And I said. Uh, brother. What do you think about. Acts 21 verses 18 through 26. He turned over there. He said. I don't think I've ever read it. I said, I don't think you have either. It's pretty good. Yes, I do believe that the Sabbath day was over at that time. I do believe that the old law had been nailed to the cross. I do believe the old law was not effective. I do believe that we lived under the new law of Christ. But Acts chapter 21, verses 18 through 26 is very difficult. Let's read it. Paul is coming from his third missionary journey. He goes into Jerusalem to keep some of the aspect of the day of Pentecost. The uh, Paul no longer believed in keeping the law, but he had taken a vow and he wanted to fulfill it according to tradition, and he did that. <clears throat> On the following day, verse 18, 21:18, 18, Paul went in with us to James and all the elders were present. When he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said, you see, brother, how many myriads of Jews, thousands of Jews, there are who have believed and they are all zealous for the law. These thousands of Jews in Jerusalem were part of the church. They were active members of the church, but they were all zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to their customs. Now this is at least three years after he wrote to the Galatians, maybe eight years but he had written that letter to the Galatians and you heard it a while ago. What then? Okay, this is going to cause a problem. The assembly must certainly meet. That is the church or at least the leadership of the church. I don't know exactly what he has in mind here. The assembly must also meet for they will hear that you have come. Therefore do what we tell you. Here are the elders at Jerusalem informing Paul. as what he has to do. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them. Paul was going to be purified. No problem here. Part of their tradition. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. And that all may know that those things which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. That is diametrically opposed to who Paul was. That is not what he wrote the Galatians. That is not what he stood for. I don't understand all this. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing. The elders said, okay, we decided back in the conference that the Gentiles didn't have to do these things, except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, from sexual immorality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the day's purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. I'm sure we don't have all the details there I wish we had more but God gave us what he wants us to have and I must quickly say now I'm going to say it slowly I must slowly say that Paul was arrested just a few days later and eventually imprisoned in Rome was released in Rome for a short time and brought back and according to the best tradition we have was beheaded. He was not a free man after this except for a space of a few months. I uh I don't want to judge the situation, but from my, what I know about it, it looks like he shouldn't have done what he did. And so I said that to somebody, they said, Well, how are you going to say that about the Apostle Paul? I just said, That's the way it looks to me. I don't know. Paul probably thought, I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. Peter is an apostle to the Jews. This is what's going on in Jerusalem. I don't like it, but I can't do anything about it. I'll just stick to my turf. He did that anyway. Now, before beginning the book of Hebrews, I want to read a letter. It's a letter that I have written It is a a letter that might have been written in the first century. It has a little bit of difficulty in it. The Romans had not accepted the Jews, as this letter might indicate they have. But they had picked on the Jewish sect or cult that were known as Christians and they were persecuting the Jews through the Christians because at this time the Christians were a sect of the Jews, so-called. The church never stood on its own until after AD 70. The church was also always a part of Judaism in the eyes of culture. That was not the case, of course. The church was very different. The church was a different organization. But in the eyes of the culture, the church was a sect of the Paul hated it because they further split the Jewish nation. You know, we got Pharisees, Sadducees, Zealots, and so forth, and now you come along with this new way here, led by this Jewish, Jewish guy who was just crazy. We're not going to put up with it. We're going to destroy you. We don't need another Jewish denomination. So in my letter here, I might have lifted up the Judaism and Romanism a little too much put them in cahoots with each other but the Romans did accept Judaism to a point because they could pick on the Christians but here's the letter I want to read to you and it's on the screen so if you you want to read along with me you can it starts off with oh there it is right there wow you're good page flipper dear brothers and sisters in Christ Twenty months ago, I became a Christian and a member of your church that meets in the catacombs. I will long remember our early morning worship on the first day of the week to sing, pray, eat the Lord's Supper, make our financial contributions, and hear God's word read and taught. I have learned so much. I was edified in every hour, in every worship hour. I will always keep these memories secure in my heart and mind. As I read this, I want you to see that this was going on, this type of thing was going on when the Hebrews letter was written. There's reason he wrote it. However, giving my total attention to the doctrine taught at the Catacombs Church has kept me from celebrating precious childhood memories. The three annual feasts in Jerusalem, beautiful temple, animal sacrifices, gifts to God and music. And the days of awe preceding the day of atonement has always been special to me. Ten days of repentance during the days of awe followed by that one day, the day of atonement when we can know that our sins had been taken from us uh, put on the head of a scapegoat and deposited in the wilderness. What joyful times. Also On a daily basis in my childhood, I really enjoyed knowing that the priests were continually offering sacrifices for me. And the high priest, although on duty all the time, went into the holy place once a year, every year, to intercede before God's throne on my behalf. I know some of you also miss these these times, but somehow you have accepted the death of Christ as making all those beautiful things null and void. Now, don't get me wrong, my dear brothers and sisters. I have not abandoned Jesus. I truly care that he truly cared enough to die for me and I can never forsake him. But here is a new truth that you will appreciate. A few weeks ago, I met a great teacher. Yes, Rabbi Simon, a very devout Christian, has shown me how to enjoy the religion of my childhood along with the new religion of Jesus. I'm telling you this because once you understand it, you will want to share my faith and we can have weekly fellowship, the Lord's Supper, prayers, oh well, everything you're doing now. But the method I've discovered is superior to plain Christianity because it continues to accept the greatness of Moses. Logical thinking, he thought. Now we have two great teachers, Moses and Jesus the best anyone could ever ask for. I'm overjoyed. If you're interested in hearing more, <clears throat> Rabbi Simon has agreed to visit the catacomb church. He is offering to preach and answer any questions you might have. And incidentally, once you understand this new truth, you will uh, skip the page. No longer have to be concerned about government officials discovering your meeting place and sending soldiers to arrest you. We're registered with the government as the Church of Moses Jesus. Even though the government does not like the Jesus part of our name, an official told Rabbi Simon, We know Moses, we've come to tolerate him a bit, so we have decided that since he is part of our, your authority, we will tolerate the Jesus part of your beliefs. So as you can see, brothers and sisters, we are Christian in the sense that allows acceptance into Roman culture. Incidentally, I wept when I read of Martha's encounter with the lions in the Colosseum. I pray that the rest of you can be spared and such, of such a death. Remember, Rabbi Simon has friends in the Senate, your Moses Christian brother, Timotheus. Now, except for the little bit of tweaking that needs to be done on the Hebrews movement in Rome that is an authentic type letter that was written during those days we can accept Jesus but we must add to Jesus Moses law because Moses came first does not matter that Jesus is who he is we can't abandon Moses and I want to ask you something could this church this morning have met under a tent, an old army tent somewhere out in the woods without any electricity, even without a PA system, without song books, without a Bible? Brother Glenn Colley could preach a ser- many sermons without a Bible. Could we have met and worshiped there and sat on the ground? Yes. What would he, we have had to have to do that? We would have had to have unleavened bread, fruit of the vine, and somebody's hat. That's all we would have to have to have proper worship. Did you know that in AD 70, when General Titus destroyed the temple, Judaism no longer existed? Oh, they tried. The cult of the uh, the Sadducees died almost immediately. They tried, they tried, but they could not, without the temple, have what God expected them to have. And anything anything you hear about Judaism today is not like Judaism of the first century. It is not like it. It is not even kin to it because the temple is an essential element the five billion dollar temple has to be in order for Judaism to exist the priestly garments have to be the high priest has to be donned and what used to be ten thousand dollars might be a hundred now in order for that to be animal sacrifices have to be made in order for Judaism to exist, all of these binaries, and, and let me ask you this: suppose a friend could stand and look at that tent you're in out there sitting on the ground with two containers, one for the bread, one for through the vine, and somebody's hat. and look over here and see a beautiful elaborate temple on the hill with choirs singing. Praise being given to God, and you say to that person, which one? Oh, that's easy. This one here. Judaism appealed to the flesh. God made it that way. Christianity appeals to the spirit. God made it that way. And we don't need anything flashy in order for that to be the case well you've listened well it's hard to have a discussion in a class like this but does anybody have any comments we do have time I guess I haven't heard a bell yet totally confused aren't you okay I'll let you be I want to read one sentence of Hebrews chapter one. I'm just going to read one sentence. We're going to talk about it next week. We'll do chapter one and more, perhaps. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past by the fathers, to the fathers, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who, being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God on high, majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Period. Longest sentence in the Bible and full of good stuff. The Hebrews writer makes no compromises. He does not hesitate to say what needs to be said. You've been a good class. I hope I've raised questions that you never thought of. And I hope I get your mind working in areas they haven't worked in. You might be sitting there and saying, do I accept all that? That doesn't bother me at all. Because I want you to study. I don't know everything. It's just the way it is. I preached a sermon one time on forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament. And an elder of the church got very upset with me in another state. And he said there was no forgiveness in the Old Testament. No forgiveness till Christ died. I said, well, John came Mark one four, I said, Read that. He was baptizing for the remission of sins. And he came back to me, I said, Did you read it? He said, Don't mean that. I said, What does it mean? And I told him, I said, Brother, I understand your position. I held the same position for years until I studied the Bible. I hope you'll do that. Let's bow together. Father, for the blessings we have in Christ, we give our thanks. We're so thankful for the unknown author of the book of Hebrews, for the work he did, the Holy Spirit that guided him in doing that. We're thankful for the words that he has, for the lessons we can learn. Help us to be patient with each other. Help us to walk in the light. Help us to walk in the glory of Jesus Christ. Bring us back at the next appointed time to another class. We pray through Christ. Amen.